0: Welcome to episode 169. What do you think about moderating your sugar intake? Have you given it a go and just found yourself perpetually back at the same place you started? Lying awake at night telling yourself, tomorrow I'll start. I've got it this time. It's going to be different tomorrow. And then suddenly, 15 years pass by. This cycle is what is better known as the yo-yo dieting cycle. Back and forth between beating yourself up for failing and trying really hard not to fail. It's not fun and you're not alone. But uncovering the truth about your relationship with food might just give you the strategy to put the appropriate boundaries in place so that you can navigate life with your sugar shackles finally unlocked. And those boundaries aren't just about food either because if you have kids, it's hard to find the space to do your own health stuff and shift that mum guilt to put your own health first. But the good news is we get into that on this episode. And would you believe in the context of a five-child household? There's a lot going on there. And this means, of course, that it's possible in your home too. So if you want to stop the cycle you're in, you might need to listen to this episode to learn to put yourself and your health at the top of the priority list. Let's get into it. What's up, my healthy friends? Good to have you here with us in 2022. It's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food because nobody wants to do that anymore after the last 40 years. So, we're off to a flying start this year. How is it this far into the year already and I haven't even had a haircut? But... For you, I hope you've managed to achieve a few things and with a bit of luck, you've managed to make some changes with your food that you've been able to keep going. If you're having some wobbles or fell off the bandwagon altogether, then I think today's guest might give you some insight as to what could be going on for you, maybe a cycle that's been repeating for years. I'd like to introduce you to, and we met on last year's Quit Sugar Summit, Christy McCammon, who is someone who has done the hard yards herself. Christy found food as a comfort and a coping mechanism at a young age and it set up a lifetime of dependence on food to manage every emotion she had, good or bad. And this caused the inevitable yo-yo between hardcore avoid- avoidance and dieting, trying to lose weight and get healthy and deep shame-filled binges. And she, as she says, she was a food addict addicted to sugar and flour. She tried the idea of moderation, which was a nice theory, but never quite played out to plan. And you listening might be like, yep, I've tried that a hundred times as well. Then along her journey, she came across the idea of food boundaries, the idea of following a set of boundaries or rules that surround your food, and that involved permanent removal of sugar and flour. And since that day, Christy has lost 100 pounds and that's about 46 kilos for Australians and maintained it for over three years. The mental chatter about food is gone and she is now in a place of food freedom and free from the burden of her addiction. And she's here today on the show to talk more about this widespread addiction, which is absolutely underdiagnosed in the modern world of excessive food access. So Christy,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Likewise. Excited to be here. How are you doing? How's 2022? Great. So far, we're off and running, off to a good start, and all is well. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. How about you?
0: Well, I mean, there's lots going on in the world, and it's that time of year where everybody's trying to get healthy and and whatever, so I'm really busy, actually, which is a good thing. Okay. Good. (laughs) Busy helping people. It's a a good way to be busy.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is, for sure. (laughs) So you've
0: been three and a bit years um, free from this addiction, having lost weight, maintained it. So where did it begin? So obviously, you said, you know, we said in the beginning that you started coping emotionally using food. At what point did you realize, I am addicted to food?
1: You know, honestly, I remember being in elementary school thinking I have to have this to get through the day Mm -hmm. or the event or the situation at home. I have to have this. So I didn't realize the depth of where that was going to take me in my life, Mm -hmm. but I knew it was a friend and I knew it was a comfort. And when I look back, the addiction started Mm -hmm. very, very young.
0: Yeah. Right. So, I guess uh, the follow-up question to that is at what point did you real? So, you, you realized very young that it was an addiction, but what, what was the kind of time frame between realizing that and then having the courage to make a significant change in your life? Because I know there's a lot of people listening that are like, yeah, I know I eat too much sugar. I know my doctor's been saying this about my cholesterol. You know, They've got so much knowledge and there's so many great podcasts out there and your stories out there in, in lots of different formats. There's, there's a lot of knowledge and awareness. But the gap between that and actually making the change, what did that look like for you?
1: Okay, yes, that makes sense. There was a, a great deal of time between elementary school and when I actually made the change. So I had tried all the different things, of course, and different diets and moderation, and it just didn't work, you know? And I knew that it would work temporarily. And then that would be the end of it. And so I had uh, looked at Overeaters Anonymous years ago and I thought, gosh, I just don't want to say I'm addicted to food and excess eating and sugar and flour. I wasn't ready to admit that. It's a big admission. Mm -hmm. And once you do it though, if you are truly an addict and once you admit it, freedom comes because you're acknowledging, wow, there's a problem Mm -hmm. and I need to address it. So it was many years in between, um, but I knew all along, And then about, so it was 2017, I came Mm -hmm. across the idea of food boundaries again, and I had seen them years ago and I thought, oh no, I'm not going to cut out sugar and flour completely. Who does that? And then of course, when I came across it again, I was so ready and so done and so desperate that I thought Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. And this is the answer. It's my rescue boat. I'm going to get in. And so it was 2017. And I said to myself, well, I'm probably, you know, I really like food. And finally I said, I am a food addict. And in that moment, it was awful and embarrassing and it felt shameful. I didn't say in a group of people or anything like that, just kind of to myself. And I thought, Okay, if I can admit that, maybe I can move forward in freedom. And that's exactly what happened. I jumped on with the food boundaries, you know, no sugar, no flour, three meals a day and and measured amounts. And I've Mm -hmm. never once, never once in four years looked back and said, that's not the answer. Now, it's not been a perfect journey. I have definitely slipped up and thought, oh, maybe I can have this little thing or that little thing. I can't and I don't, but mm-hmm. I have I have experimented and thought, well, maybe. But never once have I looked for a new plan or a new diet. This has been the answer and it's such freedom knowing cutting out those things can bring a freedom that I didn't even know was available.
0: Oh, that's so great to hear. I think... I speak a lot on the show to emotional eaters and so, it's this interesting conversation where I often talk about the fact that conventional diet culture is too restrictive and too deprivation oriented but I think – and so, I think I'd love to clear up for people the difference between emotional eating and addiction because – as we're discussing the boundaries around addiction, that's definitely that more conventional you know, diet culture in the sense of deprivation, restriction, never do that type thing. So I'm wondering in your experience, how do you define the difference between emotional eaters and addicted eaters?
1: Hmm, that is a great question. I've never been asked that question. So in my mind, and maybe you know exactly, you probably do. In my mind, it's, for me, it was pretty similar. I was Mm -hmm. an emotional eater because I was addicted to food to to soothe my emotions and calm my chaos. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there's a a level, a scale, but Mm -hmm. for me, I was an emotional eater that could not function without the food permanently. Mm -hmm. Now, temporarily I could, okay, I'm going to white knuckle it. Here we go. Here we go. I can get through it. But then as soon as I got through it, then I, oh man, I just need this, this, this drive through that's going to calm me down. And it does. And it does, and that's what I tell women and men, people all the time, is that there is that temporary solution of food. So we can't deny that. We can't act like food doesn't solve the moment. Now, it creates a mm-hmm. big war and a big problem. But in that moment, food, whoo, it takes us down. So I don't know. So for me, emotional eating and the addiction was wrapped up together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I can imagine for a lot of people, there's a very vague grey line as to where it begins and ends. Yeah, yeah. totally. So, yeah. Uh, do you think as well, like, and, and I mean, from your experience and the women you work with, the people you work with, do you find that it's often related to childhood pain Um, or is there more people that actually just have a physiological addiction to the substance? Because I've worked with a lot of people and we've sort of, you know, had some really deep coaching calls and conversations and they're like, I've been to therapy, I've, I've chatted with you for 10 weeks and I can't find this big, deep trauma that apparently happened in my life. Um, and I remember speaking to Bitten Johnson on the podcast too about it and, and she had the same experience over her very long sugar addiction career of being like, spoken to so many people that couldn't find this trauma. Mm-hmm. So, do you find it's like more pain related or more physiology, like addicted to the actual white substance?
1: So I really believe that there's some people have a propensity for addiction and that could be with Mm -hmm. alcoholism. You see people who have one beer and they they're done. They don't want more. And then you see the other people Mm -hmm. who can't stop. I believe it's the same thing with sugar and flour. And I love what Mike Collins calls it a powder addiction. It's that processed Mm -hmm. immediate hit. So for me, it started in childhood because of some deep trauma and, and, and the access to food. We were taught to feed mm-hmm. our emotions. Now, for some people, it doesn't happen until they have children or later on in life where it just can kind of happen, not even because of some big emotional trauma. But mm-hmm. I believe there's a propensity that some people have towards it, and it can manifest and come at different times.
0: Yeah, yeah totally. And and probably especially through our teenage years and I know when I left home like the first thing I did was basically buy Tim Tams and beer for breakfast. <laughs> like, you know, I don't yeah. know if you know what Tim Tams are if they have them in the US.
1: No, but they sound but, uh, yummy. They sound good. Yeah, they're just like <laughs> donuts or something. They're
0: just they're, they're delicious. They're just like these chocolate biscuits, but like okay. Yeah, you go through this period of for me at least like university and it just becomes you know, the lifestyle that the housemates and I live in. And so, I I would never have called myself an addicted food eater, but it was just, you know, I was like, but I love this life and it comes with all of these great things. And, And so, even if there's not a trauma, it's like if you repeat a lifestyle day in, day out for years, if not decades, that's, you know, you're almost addicted to the identity of the person that lives in this lifestyle as opposed to, you know, the chocolate or the sugar or whatever it might be.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people, it just it can just present at different times. And like you're saying, mm-hmm. but maybe for you or for some, that just is, oh, it's a little phase. It's not a big deal. I don't want more. But for some, it starts building. Okay. I'm alone. I'm free. I'm relaxing. I have to have food to relax. I have to have, you know, I'm watching this movie. I have to have candy or popcorn and it becomes a habit mm-hmm. and emotionally ingrained and almost like it's sad without it. And it, it, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Um, but it can become that. But it also can become where you retrain your brain that you don't have to have candy when you go to the movies and sit and have a movie. And you can retrain totally. that. But it, it that there's a period of time that's very hard when you cut out mm. sugar and flour. Because, or yeah. if it's just sugar. Some people just cut out sugar. There's that period of time because you've associated all these... Yummy foods, they're yummy, they're a dopamine hit, they're a quick fix, you know, it feels good, tastes good, gives you a little rush with the fun. So all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you have this fun event and you take away all that food. Now you can still eat. I eat wonderful stuff. I just don't eat all the time and I don't eat sugar and flour. Mm -hmm. But there is a grieving period. Has to happen. Just a grieving period that you have to go through to let go of that relationship, not the food, not letting go of all the wonderful food that God gave us, because there's some great, great foods and awesome recipes and ways to make it wonderful. And just, I mean, an apple off the tree or carrots become so sweet and so incredible when you let go of all the processed stuff and you start realizing what we've done to our bodies and what people are doing. And it's not good.
0: Totally. (laughs) It's funny how commercialized we all are because the idea that we have to clarify that not having sugar and flour still means you eat tasty food. Like to some people, it's like, what? Broccoli is so boring.
1: (laughs) Right. But it's so good. You use salt and pepper it, olive oil. I mean, roast it. Yeah, if you steam it and it's all, you know, soggy, yes, it's not going to be that great. But there's ways to just make things amazing. Mm -hmm. And people just don't realize it. Because it is a transition. It's a transition Mm -hmm. into the lifestyle. It's not just, I'm done and yay, here we go. It's, okay, what do I do? How do I do this? What are the tricks and and tips to get through it?
0: Well, uh, and speaking of that, getting through it, you mentioned, you know, that there's a grieving period and there's a period that there's really quite, it's quite a challenging period with the absence of that relationship. What are the things that, people would expect to pop up in that phase or, or you yourself had pop up that you didn't see coming as like a challenge or an experience that you were like, well, this came out of nowhere or this was being masked by the, the sugar that I was eating mm-hmm. for the past however many years.
1: Definitely uh, a sadness, a uh, emotional, I, I really spent the first month crying, not, not every moment of every day. But mm-hmm. when I wanted the food or a quick candy bar, or a quick ice cream. That Sweets were my big thing. Mm-hmm. And I denied myself of that and said, no, I'm not having that. The feelings bubbled up. And I wanted to just stuff them. No, I don't want to feel that. It's yucky. It's big and scary. And, but I let them. I had committed to a 30-day window that I was not going to have sugar and flour and see what happened and see what my body did. And mm-hmm. all the feelings started coming up and I had to let them come up. I decided I wasn't gonna stuff them cause I had done that for 40 some odd years. And I was mm-hmm. done doing that. What I did, what I was doing wasn't working. It was going to end my life early. So I did really feel very, very emotional and I cried a lot in the first month and I determined I'm just going to cry. And at one point, my kids asked my husband, they said, dad, what's wrong with mom? Why is she so sad? What's going on? And and he said, you know, I don't really know, he, he, you know, and he, we, him and I would talk about it and he said, she's just going through a lot of things and reliving a lot of things and not using food. To just stuff them down. So, we're going to, we're just going to support her in this journey. And it was great because uh, I told my kids, we're, I'm going to cry. I'm just crying. I don't know why I'm thinking of this thing that happened. And I don't know why it's coming up, but I'm not going to stuff it. I'm going to work through these things. And I kind of felt like it was this bubble that mm-hmm. for years was coming up and I just kept stuffing it. But the bubble, it was going to rise and I'd stuff it. Well, I was stuffing it and I was wearing this massive sugar addiction. I was just, wearing it. It was very obvious and I was very, very large. And so Mm -hmm. finally it was like this bubble, I let it up and it left and it popped. It doesn't mean there's not hard times and I don't struggle at times, but it means that that Mm -hmm. first initial month is tough. But then beyond that, because it's an emotional detox as well as Mm. the physical detox for me. it was The emotional detox is far harder than the physical detox.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. What you, you were talking about all those things coming up and previously, obviously, you had suppressed them. Mm-hmm. Was, did you, do you have like a toolkit now that you would um, utilize or advise people to use in order to nurture those emotions? And because we often fill these emotional voids with food. Yeah. Um, and so, do you, do you swap them out with other strategies to manage these emotions that come up?
1: Yes. uh, One of the first things when I work with someone and in my course, I tell people, number one, it's going to be hard. Be prepared. Mm -hmm. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's not all easy. And when Mm -hmm. those feelings come up, you have to have, first of all, a temptation plan is what I call it. And that Mm -hmm. just means four or five things that you're going to do before you're going to eat. And Mm -hmm. for me, it's stop, pray, walk away. I have to get my eyes averted from that substance or that thing that's calling to me and yep. get away from it and pray and say lord i can't do this on my own and that's a big mm-hmm. part of what i do is um you know trusting that god's strength is made perfect in my weakness because i'm weak and in that moment my flesh wants mm-hmm. that cupcake so bad mm-hmm. um so that maybe reaching out to a friend a a one minute dance party you know each person creates a five things five things on a temptation plan and when you walk through those things you can get away. Just First of all, practice the pause. Take a pause. Get away from the item or the Mm -hmm. event or the thing that's going to bring you down in that moment. And in doing that, it allows you to think through what maybe you are feeling. What is it you're actually needing? Maybe you're actually needing to get in touch with someone and connect with someone. It's not the food at all. Maybe you're needing yeah. some time in prayer. Maybe you're needing a walk that's just going to give you some energy, take a quick little walk or something. And once you do those things, 95% of the time that I walk through my temptation plan when I'm wanting food, I don't want the food anymore. And that's what all of the people I work with say. I don't want it. Once I went through that, I realized I only wanted it in that moment to just fill a quick hit. It's just, it mm-hmm. really is a quick hit, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's really interesting because once you nurture the emotion, it's almost like, yeah, the hit that you wanted to resolve something, it's, you, f- you realize, oh, I can resolve these feelings in other ways or dissolve these feelings in other ways. And yeah. I'm actually, yeah, not even hungry because we often mistake hunger, those cravings for hunger. And I think people are like, oh. Uh, I'm emotionally literate now. Like and yes, that's, an, that's a yes. big piece of it too is that people don't actually know. Like the amount of people that have done the first month of my program, which is all the emotional eating stuff before we actually get to what to eat. Um, okay. People say, I didn't even know I was an emotional eater. Like, and this has blown my world apart because, I'm yeah, just eating all these different things and I didn't even know they were related to an emotion. Yeah. And so I think developing that emotional literacy and we're in a – for the most part, we're in a world where we we haven't been encouraged as children to be emotionally literate and aware and we weren't raised by parents who were, had those luxuries either. Um, and, you know, they all did the best that they could. But now that we're becoming, you know modernized with all of this food there's consequences to that lack of emotional literacy which is yes. there's soothing foods and substances and drugs and alcohol everywhere absolutely yes. everywhere
1: <laughs> everywhere and and the problem with food is it's acceptable now if i went yeah. to a party and just started or if i was sitting with my children in the afternoon and started drinking a bottle of wine and kept going that'd be a problem but because mm-hmm. it's and and any parent obviously but because it's food it's acceptable, but it's the same problem. It's the same problem. It just, the consequences mm-hmm. are different. Mine, I end up wearing, you know, was wearing my addiction, being very heavy. Someone that's sitting drinking alcohol is going to be mm-hmm. drunk and make some other poor choices, but it's the, it's the same heart issue. It's still a desire to calm and our chaos and soothe our soul. And it's the wrong thing because if we're using food or alcohol or anything to do that, It's a it's a fail it's a failure right there because it will never it will never give us the satisfaction and comfort that we're actually searching for.
0: I love how you just called it a heart problem. I think that's so good. Yeah, it's so accurate. Uh, But and these social situations you're talking about, I guess as well, because it's like with alcohol or drugs um, or insert any other addiction, it's usually just complete abstinence is the strategy. There's usually a you know maybe a twelve step program that supports that. So. I guess it's kind of a little bit confusing potentially, and maybe you can talk through this is that, you know, you still need to eat food, right? Yep. So being a food addict and, and saying no food, you know, no more food. Yeah. Like, how do you navigate that vagueness between I'm a food addict, but I actually still need to eat food? Because that's, right. like, you know, with a, her- a heroin addict wouldn't be like, I'm a heroin addict, but I still need a little bit to get by. <laughs> yeah. You know? then.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that, you know, my, really for years upon years, I wished I was an alcoholic. Okay. I really did. I said, I wish mm-hmm. I was an alcoholic rather than a, a foodaholic needing food all the time. Because mm-hmm. not that this is easy, but an alcoholic can eliminate alcohol 100%. They don't have to have mm-hmm. it. But I always said, Well, I have to have food. So now nah, I'm not, I, I can't solve this problem. Mm-hmm. But I realized when I discovered the food boundaries that I had to eat to live. But I didn't have Mm -hmm. to eat sugar and flour, and I most certainly didn't have to eat all day long. So by putting those boundaries up, it was the sugar and flour I was—excuse me—that I was addicted to. I wasn't putting broccoli and carrots in my pocket to go eat in the closet. I wasn't putting (laughs) those things. It was M and M's and you know sugary stuff that I could quickly go get a quick hit by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't—I didn't struggle with overeating vegetables and meats Mm -hmm. and cheeses and nuts. that wasn't an issue. So by eliminating sugar and flour, which we do not have to eat. We don't have to eat those things. It was the same thing as an alcoholic eliminating alcohol. I could eliminate sugar and flour and have three meals a day and bind those in the, here's my meal, here's my meal, here's my meal. And I don't Mm -hmm. have to eat in between. I'm not going to die in between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner and dinner and breakfast. Those Mm -hmm. boundaries... Solved it 100% for me. And for so many people, those boundaries are just a simple solution. It's not always easy, but the solution is simple. And Mm -hmm. if you can do those things and realize life is still great, we don't have to have food all day long for it to be great. In fact, when I was eating all day long, it wasn't great because all I was thinking about is what's the next thing? What's next? What's next? What am I going to eat next? What am I going to put here? What's this quickest thing to have? So I was obsessed. I mean, literally obsessed all the time. So when I did this, the 100 pound weight loss, awesome. I'm thrilled about it. Maintaining that fantastic. But the beauty and the benefit is that my mind is clear. I don't have this mental chatter mm. all the time. How much can I get away with? Should I have this? Is there a cheat day? I want this. I want that. I'm going to drive through here. I'm going to have this. None of that. I plan my meals. I eat my meal. And I wait for the next one.
0: I love that. Doesn't
1: mean I don't crave things sometimes. Of course I do. And I work through that. But it's a clarity in my brain that I wish I could show. I wish I could just show what the clarity in my brain looks like. Because it's incredible. I had no idea there was a life like this, that I could live this way. It's wonderful.
0: So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. all of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative "How to Turn Food into Self Confidence" ebook, and that's also for free. I get it; skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads, and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Oh, that's beautiful to hear. I'm so happy for you that you, you've achieved this. And obviously, you're helping a lot of people do that as well. And I think as well, the other thing that people think, oh, you know, but I need snacks. And it's like when you go to the, you know, two or three meals a day, whatever it is for you, and you actually reduce the sugar and the flour and you replace it with protein and good actual wholesome food, you, like a lot of those cravings diminish anyway because you've actually nourished the biology in a way that's like oh i actually gave it for breakfast what it actually needs instead of super refined sugars and grains that just make me you know really excited about the next little binge that i'm going to have throughout the day so i think there's that biological component or physiological component too that it's like when we revert to three meals a day it seemed to work for everybody in the 50s or the 60s and the 40s and and they they were all super healthy and lean and and ripped and why now do we need to eat you know, I read a study recently that the average American, uh, U.S. person from the USA, eats six to eleven times a day. Um, in my mind, if you are eating eleven times a day, it's really just once; it just never stops.
1: <laughs> you are, oh my gosh, I was thinking the same thing because it's because it, you are eating one thing, thinking about mm-hmm. the next, thinking about the next. Yeah. There, there is no stopping. You are absolutely right. That's one time all day, never stopping. And of course, yeah. I guarantee you, the person that is binging and eating. That night, when they get to lay in bed, they promise Mm -hmm. themselves they're not going to do it tomorrow. Most people promise themselves every single night that that was their last binge. Mm -hmm. And I did that every night. And it was this loop. And it went and went and went. And this narrative, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm done. Okay, what am I going to eat? Never ended. And the only solution was cutting that out. And people say to me, isn't that so restricting? Well, first of all, people say, how can you just cut out a whole food group? And I remind mm-hmm. them that processed sugar is not a food group. First of all, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is not, nor is processed sugar. Um, and then I realize it's not restricting. It's simply, it's not like I'm, I, I'm, I'm not on a diet. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. we're all technically on a diet. How we eat is really our diet, but in terms of it is simply, this is the, these are the things I eat. I'm not restricting anything. I eat, you know, vegetables and lean Mm -hmm. meats and, you know, some grains. And this is what I eat. I don't worry about what I don't eat. It's not about what I don't eat.
0: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. You mentioned something before that I think would be really pertinent to talk about um, because I know that a lot of women listen to this podcast and working with a lot of women, um, I know that they have unsupportive partners. And you said your partner was really supportive. Um, And so, how do... What, what's some advice or some input in just to the conversation to have with your partner? Because I know I've worked with so many women whose male partners are actively, like consciously trying to sabotage them, judge them, hurt them, you know, not physically, but like hurt what they're trying to do for themselves. Um, and and so, yeah, you hear this and, it, and the awakening that people have in this emotional eating period is realizing, oh my God, I'm with someone that doesn't want the best for me. Mm-hmm. And that is an awful thing to confront. And of course, you would just keep eating because until you've got the faculties or the resources to cope with such an emotional uh, and such a huge, you know, th- hurdle to confront in your life. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to eat, eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and just, yep, I'll deal with it later, deal with it later, because this yeah. is my intimate relationship in my life. So, can you speak into that a little bit?
1: Yes. I realize that I'm very blessed. Uh, not mm-hmm. everybody has that. Um, and I can't, make someone have that. I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do to say, "Hey, get yourself a supportive partner, you know, spouse." Mm-hmm. I just happen to have that and I've been my husband and I've been together 32 years this year, which mm-hmm. is incredible. Um, but what I tell people is in talking to your spouse and your family, let them know how important it is to you. Let them know that mm-hmm. you struggle. Let them know that You're not a typical person that just eats, if indeed this is you, you're not a typical person that just eats one cupcake and is done Um, because I didn't do that. I would eat whatever Mm -hmm. was there and try and get more. So, but it's a very humbling, vulnerable conversation to have. But it's also a very Mm -hmm. healing conversation to be able to say, hey, I struggle in this area. Can we make sure we don't have this particular food in the house? Because that was my favorite, you know, food that I would binge on or something. And most families, most spouses are supportive. If you present it that way and say, hey, this is a struggle of mine and I just need a little help. And, you know... If you can have that conversation, not everybody can. And I get that. I'm blessed to be able to have it. You know, my children are very supportive. They monitor Mm -hmm. what I have or don't have. If something comes in the house, I'm able to say, hey, um, can you count this? Because I'm tempted to have it. And I want to know that somebody's right there watching if I were to have it. But that is tricky. And it's, Mm. you know, not everyone has it. So I do not take that for granted. But I do think you can have some conversations. Um, They're hard to have. But when you have them, it's also a part of the healing. Because it's also a part of saying, I struggle with this. And exposing it to the light. Because most people, we hold it in. We isolate. I'm going to fix this. And then I'll share about my story. I'm going to fix this. And then I'll help other people. Well, it requires exposing it before it's fixed for the healing. You have to know it's Mm. broken. You have to see it. Get it out in the light. And that's one of the big things I tell people too. If you're in a moment where you're struggling and you're wanting something and you're tempted to eat off plan, get it out into the light, expose it right away, Mm -hmm. post it in a group, reach out to a friend, say, Hey, I'm tempted to eat this thing right here. Can you, I'm just getting it out there. That automatically diffuses it because isolation and hiding, bad things happen in isolation and hiding. We don't need to do that. Get it out. And it starts to heal. It's not as big. And it's certainly not shameful once you get it out there.
0: Yeah well and I guess we've learned particularly in Melbourne Victoria and Australia maybe a little bit more so than the rest of the world the consequences of isolation and disconnection yes. and you know the the covid kilos that almost everybody mm. has accumulated as a result of this yeah this disconnection and this loneliness and this just yeah. confusion mm. and, and and fundamentally it comes back to all of these emotions that are are coming up and we're trapped in our homes not able to distract our emotions or ourselves from the emotions by going to the pub on Friday night or being super busy at work all all day. And so instead we sat at home and just had these feelings and ate them, unfortunately. But the Mm -hmm. good thing is that I think after this year, so many people are aware that, oh, when I've got nothing to do, I eat.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And eating to just calm the the chaos. Really. I always say that Mm. just because when you feel chaos happening around you, we need it to stop. And a mm-hmm. simple solution is eating. It's, it calms yeah. everything. I mean, I, for me, I have a lot of anxious thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have five kids. I'm th- what are they going to do? I'm worried about my kids. Is this person going to make good choices? Where are they going to move? Who are they going to marry? How All these things and raising children, which are beautiful, but the anxious thoughts can be a a trigger to eat. Well, let me just, man, if I just drive through and get some French fries and a big old Diet Coke or a regular Coke, whatever, and then it calms it. And it does, Mm -hmm. but it comes right back up and (laughs) you're going to spend a lifetime doing that. And so now Mm -hmm. I can deal with the anxious thoughts. They come up and I'm able to pray through them. I'm able to ask God for help. I'm able to tell my friend, man, how did you deal with this when your kid had this issue or whatever? You Mm -hmm. can you know, work through them rather than just stuff them and put a Band-Aid that it's just going to continue for the rest of your life unless you deal with it.
0: Totally. You've just brought up another thought. So, I mainly work with busy mums that are wanting to get healthy and mum guilt as, you know, Mm. as a male, I obviously do not experience (laughs) mum guilt. As a male with no children, I don't experience (laughs) mum guilt. And so, with five kids, Mm. How do you navigate the mum guilt versus the self care, creating space for self care and self reflection and your own health journey? Because so many mums, you know, we were raised with this idea for mums that, you know, it's the kids first, always the kids. I'm last, you know, I've got to keep the house running. And what I've learned in my journey observing this is that like that makes total psychological sense for the safety of the family and the upbringing of the children. But what it actually does is that when those children become adults, the way that they learn to treat their own body is modeled on what you did when they lived at home. Mm. And so whilst prioritizing them first makes emotional sense during the first, say, 20 to 25 years of their life, the next 50 years of their life, they will just copy what you did in regards to their own self-care and their own body. And so it's this kind of, yeah, guilt conundrum of like, I need to prioritize self-care in front of my child in order for them to prioritize self-care from them when when they're 40, you know? So I'm wondering how do you how do you navigate the mom guilt versus self-care and how do you sort of make those worlds interrelate?
1: That's great because it, I have mom guilt all the time. I mean, it's just part mm-hmm. of it. And you can't explain it. You know, like you said, you can't feel it. And my husband mm-hmm. doesn't understand it. But I'm always thinking Wow, did I do this right? Did I have enough time with my kids? Did I take too long? Do they know that I love them? I mean, it's a constant swirling of thoughts. So Mm -hmm. when I, in particular, changed this lifestyle, I knew it was going to take some time. I knew I needed to get away. I knew I needed to journal. I knew there would be times where I had emotions coming up and I had to go be alone. And I never did that. So in 2017, my oldest was 15. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was 15 and they're about three years apart. So my youngest was four at the time, or three or four. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I can't leave right now. I have to be here for my kids. But very quickly, I realized, if I don't walk away right now and deal with this emotion that's coming up, I'm going to eat it, I'm going to stuff it, and I'm going to end my life early. I'm going to kill Mm -hmm. myself on the installment plan, just because I won't take this time now. So I had to realize that I needed to take this time now to, you know, maybe go to bed earlier, to get Mm -hmm. up earlier by myself and have a cup of coffee or, you know, spend time alone. And if they got up, let them know I'm reading, I'm journaling, give me just a few minutes. And Mm -hmm. within a few months, that just became habit. And they appreciate yes. they knew I was working on myself, and mm-hmm. you know i've had I had a lot of people that would when i when I share that I don't eat sugar and flour, there is a group of people in the world, a large group that say that is called an eating disorder it's not mm-hmm. it's simply cutting mm-hmm. out some processed food that is really not food anyway okay in in all reality mm-hmm. it's kind of a fake thing and processed down to nothing, so it's not mm-hmm. like um uh you know, cutting out a food group, like I said. So what I, and and they would say, you're you're harming your children. Because I had a couple people in particular come at me with that. And I said, what I have taught my children is that mom had a struggle with this thing. Now, I don't care if Mm -hmm. it's a thing, you know, whatever it is, food, alcohol, pornography, stealing, whatever your struggle with your thing is, mom prioritized to fix it. So she wouldn't be bound to that thing anymore. It wasn't about the food. It's not about Mm -hmm. the food and the sugar. They don't see, oh, we shouldn't have food and sugar. It's bad. They have food. They have sugar. They have all of that. And they'll have to, Mm -hmm. you know, work through that. I teach them healthy eating. But what they see is that I had a problem with something and that I trusted the Lord to help me and I worked things out. I journaled, I talked, I cried, I prayed, I asked for help. So that way, when now, when they're struggling, I hope that they take the time for themselves. Wow, mom did that in this area of her life. I have this area. I need to get help. I need to prioritize myself. So that's my goal and my dream and my prayer is that that's what they've seen.
0: Oh, that's such a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. It's yes. um, yeah, I feel like that's going to resonate with a lot of women mm-hmm. um that have this conversation in their own head. I think, yeah, yeah, it's so powerful, and I think you, I think you raise a really important point about our um over medicalized or Western medicalized society that we have in the Western world and and much of the world now. And we've seen the consequences of that in the last couple of years. But like, it's all about the diagnosis. Like, how do I get my label? So, as soon as you do yes. something that's like, I'm going to commit to something, it's like, oh, we've got to label it as a, as a problem, you know? And, and you know, I mean, the textbook of diagnoses these days is monstrous. <sighs> like, yes. it's almost you can't be anything without being some kind of medical yes. classification.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. <laughs>
0: So it's yeah it's it's a it's a weird world that we're in but yeah, yeah it's like being healthy now is is is, is a problem so Exactly um, exactly yeah <laughs> so and it's the same when people start to go on yeah health journeys or fitness journeys and their friends start to judge them or be like oh I'm a bit concerned about you yeah. um you know and oh we're just Don't be concerned. I'm trying to get back to what the natural human body should be with, like doing.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. But it's so. I mean, the fact is, it is swimming upstream because Mm -hmm. most of the world is eat what you want when you want. And when I talk to people about denying yourself, because you do Mm -hmm. have to deny yourself sometimes. That's the fact. The matter of the fact, or fact of the Mm -hmm. matter. And people will know we live in a world that that is not a popular message. No, no. What you want, when you want, how you want, how much you want. There's no denying yourself. Mm -hmm. Just feed it. No. Because you know what? That causes a problem. It's okay Mm -hmm. to deny yourself. We all have to deny ourselves of things that we shouldn't be doing or having. And there's nothing wrong with that. So it's a culture of swimming upstream. And so it's helpful to have a community, partners, people, buddies, to swim Mm -hmm. upstream in the same lifestyle of you know we're cutting out these things in our life but we're not cutting out goodness in our life just these things that actually suck the life from us
0: oh absolutely no you're totally bang on i think as well like when you have that conversation with people like they're so used to the the, the world of privilege and abundance and excess yes. that they don't realize that even though they're grown adults The fact that you can't say no to something means that you you don't have any emotional maturity and and you know obviously food boundaries was your thing and denying yourself or saying no this you know even if it's just this time is exercising your emotional maturity muscle which again we touched on most people didn't get the opportunity to ever exercise and so now we're just although we're like you know thirties forties fifties sixties we're really just like basically drunk babies like until yes yes. and until we start learning how to exercise and use this muscle and and say you know have the courage to draw a boundary and say whether it be you saying "Mum's journaling right now give me five minutes or whether it be friday night drinks i'm just gonna have mineral water you know because this is what i need to do for me it's exercising that boundary muscle
1: Yes, it is. And there's times where my kids will say, oh, mom, I'm so sorry you can't have this. It's so good. And I will say to them, I can have it. I don't want to have it. Because it did Mm. not good things to mommy. It wasn't good for mom. And, you know, and one of my daughters, in fact, said to me one time, because I have food journals and a course and stuff like that. And she said, Mom, Mm -hmm. I hope that you still will keep a food journal or some of these things for me in case I have a problem when I'm older. And I said, yeah, if you have a problem, then we'll deal with it. But don't worry about it. You just, you know, and she doesn't. She leaves food on her plate. It's not an issue. But mm-hmm. sometimes you can see people that can have a problem where they keep eating and eating, and you can tell they don't want to keep eating, but they can't stop themselves. So it's, mm-hmm. it's sweet because I try really hard to teach them that this is a problem for mom. It doesn't mean it's going to be a problem for you. It just happens mm-hmm. to be an area that I struggle in, and I'm going to work through it. Just as when you struggle in an area, you're going to work through it. And I do very much try and help them to feel their feelings. When they are sad, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you sad? What are you feeling? you know let's mm-hmm. talk about it it's okay to feel sad and i i don't we never feed the emotions and i in fact to a fault when i was a kid every single doctor appointment dentist appointment everything i did we went for ice cream after everything mm. bad or yep. good we went for ice cream i do not take my kids for ice cream after anything now we go to ice cream you know to celebrate or after a, a you know, a soccer game or something. If kids are going, we eat ice cream, they eat ice cream, not a big deal, Mm -hmm. but I don't attach it to all of these things and events. I don't want it attached to that. I just, I want it. Mm -hmm. Here's ice cream. And one of the things I do is I do not say the word um, treat for a sweet. I say, oh, do you guys, you know, like at halftime at a football game, I said, let's go. At first I said, let's go get a treat. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute. And I said right then and there in front of my family, it was kind of obnoxious. I said, you know what? We're not going to call it a treat. It's not a treat. A treat is we're all here healthy, watching our brother play football, loving each Mm. other safe. That's the treat. Now we can go get candy at halftime. We'll go get candy. But in that moment, I said, I'm never calling it a treat again because the treat is so much bigger than a piece of candy. A candy is a candy and it tastes good. Eat it. If you want to eat candy, eat candy. And my kids eat candy. But it's no longer... A treat, and I don't want it attached to every emotion.
0: Well, and it, like you said, it diminishes the word treat because Mm -hmm. it's like a five second experience, right? And I want my treats to be far greater in you know emotional abundance than that.
1: (laughs) Me too. Me too. A treat is so much should be so much bigger than that. Yeah, you're right. Mm
0: Oh, amazing. I've loved this conversation. I'm 100% sure that there's so many people out there that are going to just find you so incredibly interesting and amazing and and inspiring and as well. So where can everybody find you
1: online? So I have a website. It's called Life Unbinged. And I came Mm -hmm. up with that name because it was related to, I had to stop the binging, stop the overeating and stuff like that. So Life Unbinged, that's my website, lifeunbinged.com. And then I'm on Instagram, lifeunbinged, on Facebook. TikTok, uh, YouTube, and I have quite a few YouTube videos, um, TikTok videos that are recipes for, mm-hmm. you know, good food without flour and sugar. And also, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the emotional part, how to get through cravings and very tangible tricks and tips to get through situations without mm-hmm. sugar and flour. So you can find me any one of those places. Well,
0: for everybody listening, all of those links that Christy just mentioned will be down in the show notes below so you can find her on whichever platform you like to hang out on. <laughs> um, and if you've enjoyed this episode or you feel like a family member or a friend wants to, you know, make some changes and you think this could help, feel free to share this episode with them. Share it to social media. Tag us both because we love to see this community of people that are trying to change their lives and making significant uh, effort in doing so. And we want to celebrate that with you. So, Before we wrap up, Christy, out of all the things you've learned on your journey, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew
1: about? Uh, Probably that it's possible and it's easier than you think. I love that. It's absolutely possible to break free from certain things and it's not as hard as it sounds. It just takes a little time and a little, uh, you know, getting in the routine of it.
0: A little bit of courage.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the first step. <laughs> Taking that courage, that step. And it's not as hard as it seems at all. And I can help you. You can find resources, literally. It's doable. And life in that there's this freedom that comes that you don't even know about yet. I didn't even know it was possible to have a freedom. And it's fantastic.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks so much for being here. I look forward to catching up again soon.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. We'll have to get you back on soon.
1: <laughs> thanks.